business in the front, party in the back, podcast. I'm Michelle. And I am Lauren. And this is a podcast where we endeavor to talk a little bit about business and some party as well. We like to have some fun mixed in with the serious stuff. Uh, brought to you by today, the Ra Ra Spirit Team, Lauren. Yes. So the Raw Raw Spirit Team, growing your business is just the beginning. So too many business owners try to grow their business on their own. They spend countless hours testing out and investing in hundreds of strategies, all with the aim of building their business. Without support, someone helping to guide you and cheering you on, motivation starts to go down, your passion starts to decrease, you start running out of money and losing faith in your business and yourself. The Raw Raw Spirit team is a supportive community filled with expert programming, up-to-date training, guest experts, mentorship, and like-minded business owners. This is not just another community and another strategy. It's a serious and supportive community of business owners focusing on supporting each other and building their business. Can you tell I rewrote my copy, Michelle, from my website? <laughs> Beautiful. I was actually looking at your eyes moving across this way. Um, so, yes, I can tell you're reading, but the listener at home won't be able to tell the difference. And on the wall. Well, now they know the cat's out of the bed. I don't always read, but I was working on it yesterday because I was thinking that I didn't, like, I was, I'm trying to look at my sales page because I'm working on my time management course right now. And then at the end of the time management course, I want to throw to the spirit team and I wanted to make sure that, yeah, anyway, I'm reading um, Donald Miller's book called The Story Brand, I think. And it's all about copywriting oh. and it's really about the use of story. And so I'm at, just at the beginning of it. So I would imagine that very soon this copy might change yet again, but at least it's, yeah, it's at a point where I think it, it sounds all right. Because you want to want to focus on the pain points of the people as well when yes. you're pitching to them. Yeah. With the time management, is that going to be like a program that people can kind of sign up for and you take them through it, like a workshop? It's uh, it's basically, so I already have it done, but I'm redoing it. So I'll just talk to you based on what I, I'm doing now. So I'm, I've actually, I'm building a two, it's an hour and a half to two hour course. Mm-hmm. And then they buy the course okay. and then they get the course all in one go. And I record it. And then That's I, a good idea. It's, it's not, it's evergreen, which means it doesn't expire. So I'm not using terms that expire. I'm talking about the method I have. It's called the, you know, the, I've got the name for it and everything. And then they basically buy it, do the course, get the transformation. And then hopefully if they like that and they like mm -hmm. me, then they might want to give the spirit team a go as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not a program. It's just a course. Yep. Yeah. It is a time saver for you recording it and just having it there, like ready to be sent out. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's correct. And um, so part of what I'll be looking for, if any of our listeners at home are listening, are um, basically if people have anybody in their networks that are interested in time management, what happens is that, you know, in the near future, or maybe even by the time this episode airs, actually, I, I could do a deal where basically you get me in front of your audience, I do a live webinar, and then anybody that buys the course after the webinar, you get a percentage of those sales. That's a little bit like those parties I have with a host, you know, get something, some sort of incentive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. like But that. it's good because if you have, I mean, for you, Michelle, your network is not, although we both believe in abundance mindset anyway, Yes, but you know, you have access to a lot of people that could benefit from 
knowing how to do good time management. Yeah. And then so it'd be myself included. Yeah. So it'd be worth it. Well, maybe worth it for you to put this in front of them. But then on the other hand, you also get revenue from it. So it's all about where you can get additional revenue content or sorry, revenue coming in, yeah. which is all kind of the theme of the episode really Correct. today. Anyway, Correct. It's all about yeah. Which we haven't discussed yet, but um, we kind of are. That was a good segue. Yeah, I guess sort of like, yeah, segue to it. So I know we like to talk a bit about our weeks though, and whether or not we learned anything new. So, uh, you know, maybe tell me a bit about your week. Yeah. I did put my prices up, as you know, a couple of weeks ago and I was freaking out. So I couldn't wait to hear from our expert who we will hear from later in the show. Lauren's going to introduce her, but I was petrified. Like it was so nerve wracking putting them up and I'm thinking, oh my God. And then it it coincided with the school holidays in Queensland and other states are different. You know, Queensland's earlier, New South Wales and Victoria a week later. So I think the school holidays kind of impacted my bookings that I'd normally have. And, and so they went down a little bit and, and I thought, Oh my God, is it the pricing? I don't know. Um, so I think it's extraordinary circumstances because this year has been quite odd with COVID and everything's been, you know, thrown out of whack a little bit. Um, kids were at homeschool being homeschooled and things. So I don't know what, what it is, if it's the pricing or the um, people being back at um, school or on school holidays, but my numbers did drop a bit and especially the reading healing combo. So I put that up to like um, 99 and so I increased most of my prices by about 5 to $10, which I didn't think was the end of the world. Um, some of my regulars are still paying the original price because that's what they're used to paying. So I haven't said anything to those guys, but I probably will have to. Um, but all the newcomers who are coming on are paying the new prices. And look, I, I did have it 99 for the reading healing and I've dropped it to 95 and I found that the booking started rolling back in. So I think for me, it's a bit of an experiment. Um, but I'll talk, you know, a little bit more in the show after that, you know, about the pricing and, and how I went about it. But, um, yeah, I'm sort of experimenting. I'm sort of putting them up, putting them down, seeing what, you know, comes in. Um, and yeah, and that's why I'm really excited about hearing from the expert today, just to see what she has to say. And if I can get any more tips, um, around, you know, how to value myself more because it is about valuing ourselves. And mm-hmm. ideally, um, we put the prices up and then the people continue to come or we have, you know, new clients, you know, coming in. So um, as well, this week, uh, last weekend, our little schnauzer got attacked by another dog, which was um, pretty horrific. Um, it was, no. uh, yeah, the second dog attacked by the same breed of dog. And I won't name the breed of dog to, you know, shame that breed. Um, but it was the second dog attacked by that particular breed in that day uh, that they had. Uh, the other dog nearly died. It was very uh, hit and miss, oh. that one. Um, so we were very lucky with Sissy. But it went through her nasal cavity, so it went the tooth, upper tooth uh, canine went through her sinus, oh. um, and her the lower tooth went through her bottom lip, um, actually through her chin. Sorry, so she started coughing and sneezing blood, and we were just like, oh my god, like distraught. Um, it was all good, so she's you know she's healing okay, but um, now she's just super timid. You know, whenever we go anywhere, if we see that particular breed of dog, yeah. she freaks out and she just goes the other way. So it's not the same dog, but it's that breed. She just, she recognizes it and just heads the other way. So um, it's, it's hard, I think, because, you know, she's like our baby um, because we don't have children. So um, it's, you know, it was so quick. It was so quick too. It was just like, you know, snapped at her and, and we were like within our rights where we were, but the dog came towards us. So there wasn't a lot we could do. So it wasn't on a leash. It was on a lead, but the lead was loose. Whereas Sissy's on a um, solid lead, she can't go anywhere, and she was at her limit. So the dog got 
her because um, the lead was loose and um, yeah, just snapped. And I didn't even realize it was so quick. I was just like, what the hell just happened? And then I saw the blood in her, in her mouth and she was like, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> we have to go to the vet. So, um, and yeah. What did you say to the owner? Um, the owners are really nice. We see them almost every day. And that's the worst thing, Lauren. Like they walk the same way that, you know, I do. And so I'm always like, hi, hi. But they've never let their dog come towards us before. And um, it was just that they were standing there and we were walking past and the dog just had enough lead, you know, to get to us. Um, but yeah, we see them pretty much every day. And the woman was mortified. She came over and bent down and was looking at our dog and she was really beautiful. Um, obviously the guy was holding the, their dog and didn't come near us, but, um, yeah, I mean, they were very nice and they didn't offer to pay any bills. It was 130 bucks, but you know, um, yeah, it was just, it's hard cause it's like a little, um, little baby. Um, so we were just very, very worried. Um, but yeah, she seems to be doing okay. It's more the psychological stuff now. Cause, um, she's just mm-hmm. petrified, you know, by the dogs, a little kid came to try and pat her today and she nearly lost it. Like she was just so scared out of her, her mind and she loves kids normally. So yeah, she's Aww. just petrified. So, um, yeah, anyway, um, it's a lesson, I think, you know, just to be extra cautious, um, around dogs in general. So yeah, cause they're animals. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't tell. I, um, well, interestingly, I read it for a lady this week and her dog came through and it was awful. It was so sad. Um, her dad was here, her dad was in spirit and the little dog came through and it was very energetic. And I was like, Oh, like it mustn't have been sick or anything. Like, cause you know, it had a lot of energy. And, um, I said, it's talking about like the, um, being put down or something like that process. And, um, the poor woman, she had to put her dog down. It was, it was young and healthy, but it attacked her child. So, um, it was her pet. So she had to make the heartbreaking decision to put the dog down. Um, and I was just like, wow, you know, that's, we're lucky, you know, this, this was a minor thing, but when, you know, the dog gets a child or something, you know, different story. And I think she made the right decision. Yeah. 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 That was a bit of a downer. That was a bit of a downer. (laughs) Lauren, you've got to, what's your job now to bring the show back up? (laughs) Raise those vibrations. Oh no. Um, Oh my God. Well, I'm getting the facial and the massage today. Oh, well, I'm getting Oroveda just to compete there, just to compete. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yes. So that's good it. though, because it's all about that self-care and stuff yeah. like that, isn't it? And yeah, uh, yeah I, I haven't really had any major anything this week. I don't think any major revelations, just, uh, yeah, just sticking with my guns, scheduling my weeks on Sunday for the whole week. So I've got everything in place, scheduling some breaks and transition times and things like that. And that was on Trello for the listener at home. That was Trello. Weren't you doing that? Yeah. I do that on Trello. That's right. Then I can move things around, which is really helpful. I love that program. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I'm working on seeing whether or not I can get some workshops going again in November, December. So it's about kind of promoting them to people who don't know me and cold call, cold emailing people. And yeah, so that's kind of, I don't really like doing that, but at the same time, I know that what I'm doing is a good service. So I want them to be able to take advantage of it if they feel inclined. Yeah. So just kind of going with that. Dumb question. Um, cold emailing. What does that entail? Like how? So it- I, I went to the website. So I'm working, I'm doing workshops right now with people who are uh, NDIS service providers or NDIS delivery staff. So they, they essentially are people who are working with people with mental health disability, that kind of thing. Oh. So I, I look at people in that sector 
And then I go to their businesses and I find their emails and then they say, hey, this is just an expression of interest. I'm coming to, you know, Darwin, for example, and I'm teaching in these areas. Here's a bit about me. Here's a flyer. You know, if you're interested, if this is for you. So that's it. So I only got a few responses, but maybe I'll get more. You know, not everyone's checking their email all the time or not everyone keeps up with emails. Plus it might be a bit spammy potentially if, because uh, they don't have context for who I am yet. So yeah. 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 So it's just kind of reaching out in that way. And, and actually it probably could be to my advantage as well to make some cold calls. Mm. So I may do that as well. And just, you know, introduce myself and say, I've got this coming up because I have nothing to lose. If anything, they say, no, they're not interested. But I think I talked to you about this on a previous episode where you, you don't say no for the customer. Correct. Yeah. The customer I was thinking about that episode. Themselves. That was a really good one. Um, with yeah. our, what was his name? Duncan? Was it Duncan? David? Letizia. David, David, that's it. Yeah, that was a great episode. Really, really good. On um, And, and I really love the subject line, what he said about the subject line, um, because if you put anything sales oriented or, you know, anything like that in that subject yeah. line, I think you even said budget, yeah. any of those things will put it into spam. So that for me has been a big turnaround when I'm mailing things out through MailChimp. Yeah, so I just put uh, expressions of interest, workshops, for NDIS service providers and NDIS delivery staff because I just wanted to target them. Uh, but then at the same time, I accidentally emailed someone in Alice Springs. And, um, and for our international listeners, that's in the Northern Territory, but it's not in a uh, huge city. It's in like a smaller town, yeah. smaller area. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to email that area. Anyway, when she wrote me back, she goes, oh, is this in this in Alice Springs because I might be interested. And I said, oh no, it's not. But if you get enough interest, I would be willing to fly to Alice Springs and teach this. So, you know, let me know what you want to do. So she said she she would definitely have a think about it. And she was amazing. Interested. So I guess nothing happens this. by accident. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. It's a good lesson. Um, you know, maybe to go a bit further afield. So that's also right. Yeah. Also yeah. Right. But I have yeah. dates locked in for these workshops in particular in a venue on hold. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely, and even in my own area, it's up to me to start promoting this, these concepts in my own area as well. And then mm. I don't have to travel as far, which is even better. Yeah. Yeah. The less yeah. travel costs, the better. Mm. Uh, okay. So anything's going on with work and that sort of thing or. Oh, just lots of hours at the restaurant, lots of hours. A lot of people quit. So it's people oh. like me who don't want a lot of hours are all of a sudden filling in a lot more. So yeah, I think this week I'm working five days. Gee whiz. So it's a lot with my business as well, but it is what it is. Like I worked last night. I worked tonight. I work, you know, six hours, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, but it's all right. I'll just take it while I can. And at least it's social and there's a lot of really nice people who work there. So that's the main thing. It's not forever. It's just for now. And working the evenings, you still able to get up like early? Cause I know you like to get up early and do some exercise and things like that. Or... Well, I actually got up at five ten today. Oh, I didn't do any exercise, but I got up early and uh, yeah, I didn't, I'll have a nap this afternoon. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Before you go into work. Yeah. I was yeah. the same. I was the same. Yeah. Well, that's good. Good, good to get yeah. the cash rolling in. So the expert yes. today, Lauren, speaking of that, 
because we're talking a fair bit about pricing. So would you like to do the uh, honours of introducing Let's our special person? Yeah. So this is, we're going to be hearing from Courtney Deegan, and I caught up with her a couple of days ago before uh, this was recorded, as you know, because you're not in that interview. And um, basically, yeah, she's got the goods, girl. So let's just turn it over to that interview and uh, let her speak for herself. Lauren with you here and uh, Michelle's leaving me to do all the work, which is just fine because I like to have the control. So that's no problem at all. I'm joined today by Courtney Deegan. She is a pricing expert with a background in sales and marketing, and she has studied psychology and accounting as well. So she's basically a major threat for anyone in business. Courtney is joining me on the show to talk about all things pricing. Now, she does help business owners establish a high perception of value. She teaches them how to price profitably, and she coaches business owners and leaders to have the confidence they need to have more powerful, profitable pricing. And with this episode all about pricing, we thought we'd bring in the big guns and Courtney is here to talk to me today. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Lauren. Wow. I'm going to have to live up to that huge introduction. now. <laughs> it's no great pressure. to be here. Yeah. No pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. There's so much to go into. Pricing is such a huge subject and it's such a funny thing because I think that a lot of pricing comes down to your feelings of self-worth, which we're going to get into later to see whether or not you agree. I love that you have a psychology background that definitely would help you a lot with knowing how to, to, you know, basically probably even price things, but also to sell things and market things to people. So yeah, I'm really interested in the conversation. So let's get into it. Let's start first with what first drew you to sales and marketing. Did that come before the psychology? That came uh, just after the psychology. It was more, um, it was a job that I got at the time. And I didn't really know that I was really good at selling and really good at communicating value until I got a sales role and I turned out to be really good at it. I've always been I've always been a words person. I'm a good communicator and that came in handy in the sales job. I was also working for basically the world's biggest luxury brand and they tend to, you know, when you're a company that size and you're a luxury brand, you want to make sure your salespeople are really, really good at what they do. So yes. we got trained all the time. Um, so I was fortunate enough to have a lot of extensive training in sales as well, um, which gave me a lot of insight. And then being able to develop those relationships with customers taught me a lot about pricing without me even knowing that I was learning about it. So that was a really, really cool experience. The marketing side um, came after the sales side and was something I got into because I was still interested in business, but didn't really know uh, what other aspects I wanted to go into. And so I delved into marketing a lot. It was a lot of, um, a lot of reading, a lot of research, and it seemed to connect a lot to the psychology that I had studied previously as well. So that's where mm. the sales and marketing came in. Yeah, it's so funny because people need to be spoken to certain ways, certain keywords without getting those objections, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff mm. that you might have learned. Yeah, it's really cool. It's actually a really, it's a nice background that you have to be able to, I don't know, I guess, have a successful career in business, really. And then you, of course, throw in the numbers part of it. Yeah, because no such thing as having a business if you can't also maybe do the numbers, exactly. or at least if you can't delegate someone else to do the numbers. Yeah, I mean, even then, um, you know, I, so originally when I started my business, I was bookkeeping. I wasn't doing pricing, and pricing was something that I did as a specialty. And I went into bookkeeping because 
I noticed that a lot of business owners, especially new, smaller solo business owners, wanted to go into business, had a great idea, had a really great passion, but didn't really understand business. A lot of them hadn't worked in businesses before, didn't really understand how they worked. And I wanted to help them to understand the other financial aspects of it. So there's, um, there's only one person that I still sort of help a little bit with their, with their bookkeeping. And I stress them all the time. You know, if you're going to be a director of a company one day, you need to know these things. Like, yes, they're boring. No, no one really wants to learn about it. It's, it's not that, I mean, unless you are an accountant or a bookkeeper, then you might, you might find it really interesting. Um, um, yeah. but as business owners, it's, it's the non-sexy side, but it's yeah. so important, so important. And it does, it yeah. does touch pricing a little bit. It helps to have an understanding of how a business works because then you can look at things like, uh, cost plus pricing or margins and things like that and know where it's appropriate to use those kinds of strategies and where it's not appropriate. So Hmm. Well, there's so many things that we want to, that I want to go into, uh, into this conversation. So I'm going to start off by basically talking about pricing your services or packages. Do you think that often relates to your relationship with money? It can do. So a lot of the most common challenges that I get from people or questions I get from people is, Uh, I want to charge more, but I don't know how, or I don't really feel like I can. I don't feel like it's right for me to do that. And so a lot of the time, even though this wasn't what I was expecting originally, a lot of the time I am very much coaching people in valuing themselves and getting over things like the self-doubt or the imposter syndrome, because um, a lot of the time it'll be a case of, oh, I can't charge that much because then I'll look greedy. I can't charge that much because then, you know, I'll lose customers. So there's a lot of misunderstanding around pricing in general. And I think that we internalize things as we grow up. Um, It can depend a lot on what kind of background you had growing up, you know, whether you had a lot of money or a little bit of money or some, sometimes that can, that can affect it as well in terms of how you think about money in your business. It can also translate to things like, oh, I don't deserve to earn this much, or I don't feel, I don't feel okay being profitable when other people aren't being profitable and things like that. So but it's more about, I try to bring the focus away from themselves and bring the focus instead to, okay, but if you can be profitable, think about all the things you can do and the things you can achieve and all of the people that you can help. And so by helping people overcome those kind of internal challenges, the mindset issues, the self-doubt, they come to realize not only how valuable they are, um, but the way that they really impact people's lives, like not just now, but into the future. Um, And then you can help them see, yeah, the kind of the transformation that they're creating in their customers' lives. And that that makes a huge difference then in how they see how they're pricing because all of a sudden they're like, Oh yeah, I really should charge prices that feel fair for me because I'm also giving something of value. It's not just me getting money. I'm giving something to someone. Yeah. I like that a lot. Have you heard of the concept of value pricing? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Can we actually talk a little bit about that? Because value pricing is something that I was really, really keen on. Mm -hmm. And then I actually felt that it was a bit too difficult for me to actually do, Mm. even though I just think the concept itself is brilliant. Yeah. So value pricing is something that I I teach and encourage everyone to use. So value-based pricing is essentially charging what your customers are willing to pay. There's a few other definitions too that are a little bit different, um, but that's that's a really simple and easy one to go on. 
the reason it's so difficult as you and, and me and everyone will know who's attempted value-based pricing is because uh, people's willingness to pay is hard to find out and it changes over time. And a lot of the time we, we know a lot about our product or service, but we don't know the value of our product or service. So that just makes it harder. A lot of the time people will make assumptions about what their customers value. And uh, one thing that I do in, in any market research that I'm doing for someone is I'll ask them, what do you think is the thing your customers value most about working with you or about your product? And I'll get them to write down their response. Then I'll go and conduct the market research and ask their customers, what do you value most about working with this business or their product? And every single time, those two answers are different. And this has also happened for me where I've run surveys and I've said, you know, what do you value most? And I've thought in my mind, oh, it's got to be this. And then they come back and they say, actually, it's this. This is what I value most. So when you know, when you actually take the time and, and make the effort to, to go out and find out what your customers really value about you, your product working with you, then you can focus on, okay, how can I give more value to them? How can I communicate it about it more, effecti more effectively? How can I highlight it in my marketing? And then how can I capture more of my fair share of the value of that through really good, healthy pricing that makes sense for the customer as well? Okay, so Courtney, that's really interesting that you answered that question that way. I love that you answered it that way. Can I also explain to you my interpretation of value pricing as well? Sure. So I, some of the learning that I was doing, and it was based on this podcast I listened to, which I'll put a link for that in the show notes, but essentially it was about figuring out how much value, aka revenue, you are going to bring the person you're working with in the future and then adjusting your price based on that. So if I talk to you, let's say I've been I've been working in this industry in business for 15 years, okay? So if I give you my time, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to charge you hourly. How can I charge you hourly for 15 years experience, yeah. right? But if I tell you something and all of a sudden you adjust the way you do business, and now you're not at a deficit or now you're maybe increasing your revenue by a thousand dollars a month. That's $12,000 a year for however many years you're in business. Well, why would I charge you an hourly rate for that? I'm going to charge you 10% of your predicted revenue increase from that piece of knowledge. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So that's, um, yeah. that's one side. So that's something that we call economic value estimation, where we estimate, okay. use a lot of variables to estimate the economic value or basically the, the money, the return on investment that we're going to bring someone. Yeah. Um, so you can use it. It's, it's very common and it's much more easy in a B2B setting, right? So if you're yes. working with a business, you can say, you know, if we can increase your conversion by this much, what does that mean in terms of revenue, how much extra revenue you might get over the year or you know next 10 years yes. or something like that so that definitely comes into it and i like that you mentioned the 10 percent there because a good rule of thumb is that the willingness to pay is usually 10 percent of the yeah. economic value estimation um the only downside there is um a it's very, very difficult to do in a b2c context right if you are a pt for example you can probably, I mean, you could assume that you are going to bring economic benefits to someone because of an increased longevity of life or, you know, a decreased chance of having a heart attack in your 40s or 50s or 60s, right? That's going to save money if you are not going to get 
cancer or diabetes. That's going to save money. But not only that's going to save time, it's going to mean that yeah. you're going to have more time with your family, more memories with your family. How do you put a price on that? So it becomes- yeah. a- You made me think of a hypnotherapist who stops somebody from smoking. Yeah, exactly. Like $25 exactly. $25 a day or whatever they charge. Exactly. Like, so yeah, yeah. Another really good example is a book, right? So if I write a business book on pricing and you know someone reads it and then they all of a sudden they you know become- a million dollar business within five years, how do I charge, you know, a hundred grand yeah. for that book? I, I can't. And so there's some, there's some places where value pricing might not make a lot of sense. And it just depends on your overall business strategy as well. Um, in terms of what, what, are, what your other products and services are meant to be doing, uh, yeah. for your business price wise. That's cool. Thank you for explaining it like that. That was was really great. And I think that that's at the time what I was thinking is I was doing business consulting and I, I didn't, I I was finding it difficult to do that kind of forecasting, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then I also didn't think that I was working with people who would really get it. That it, uh, cause you know, it's kind of, is it sort of a common practice or is it something value-based pricing is, it's not that common yet. It's not as common as I would like it to be things like hourly rates and things are still very prevalent uh, in the sorts of businesses that I see. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people I come across have heard of value-based pricing and have thought about it similar to you have either thought about it or have tried to do it and just found that they couldn't get a handle on it. Didn't really know how to do it. It is very difficult. And I mean, in business degrees and even in small business courses online and things, there isn't a lot of attention and detail given to pricing. So business owners end up missing out a lot on the kind of knowledge that they really need to have in order to price well. So it's not a surprise to me that value-based pricing isn't more common, um, but I'm working very hard to change that. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. But I mean, just speaking with you now for however long we've been talking, 10 minutes or something, you know, you're you're proving the importance of this because of working with somebody like you or at least having a really educated decision making your decisions based on real facts or, you know, like actual markups, not just, I think this is a good price, but like understanding that, you know, you have to pay this amount to do this, this and the, and market it and all this kind of stuff. And I'm being super vague, but the point is that you need to put this work in to be able to actually have a return on investment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the more that um, pricing is growing as a field, I mean, it's a relatively new field in and of itself. There aren't many of us Mm. pricing people. And even then there are even fewer of us who are independent uh, consultants or coaches like me. So as the field grows, I mean, it's a bit like change management, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, basically nobody heard of change management and now most people have. And so it's just one of those things that as it grows and becomes more prevalent, as more business owners learn about it and adopt it, I think value-based pricing will definitely become more common. We're seeing a very, very big shift in things like subscription-based pricing. Almost every business in the world is trying to do something uh, subscription based because that's the latest, yeah. that's the latest thing. And it is a very yeah. good, it is a very good business model. Um, yeah. and so the, the insights around value-based pricing and subscriptions is really interesting as well. Well, that's actually what I ended up doing because I couldn't figure out the value pricing. So then I decided that doing the one-on-one didn't make sense to me from a revenue perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make my clients feel like I needed them 
their business to make pay my mortgage, for example. Sure. So I started a subscription as well, but then I'm never able to charge what I actually think that it's worth because, you know, but then when you look at volume, then it makes more sense if you have the volume. So anyway, I just want to say that that was it. That was actually where it ended up going. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Awesome. So let's talk a bit for a minute about quoting, because you made me think there that, you know, when you're kind of looking at pricing yourself, it's not just the hourly rate. It's not just the service that mm -hmm. you're providing or the product that you're selling. Yep. It's also about what you are you know, predicted to do, yep. right? Mm -hmm. AKA quoting. So I guess one of the examples that could be convenient for us to use for this would be workshops because there are a lot of business professionals, a lot of service providers who might be asked to do workshops mm -hmm. and they have to provide quotes for that. Do you have any advice or suggestions around how to properly quote for subjects like that? The best general advice, so there's a couple of things going through my mind. The, the first one is, is to offer options. So when you offer options as opposed to just one price, you actually increase the chance of a buyer by about 50%. Obviously, that's going to change industry to industry, size to size and things like that. But in general, humans really, really love choice, right? Our brains love to feel like they're in control. We're in control of our own destiny. Mm -hmm. If you give just one price, it feels like a bit of an imposition on you. Whereas if I give you three options, all of a sudden your brain is like, oh, I'm the one in control. I'm the one with the power. And by me giving you that, I also trigger the reciprocity effect a little bit because you feel like I've given you something. And so you feel more inclined then to buy from you, to buy from um, me. Um, the other thing too, is that when you, when you take the time and you, you find out more, you know, through having something called a value conversation, you find out more about the people who've asked you to do the workshop, for example, you know, you would ask them questions like, um, what kind of outcomes are you hoping that this will achieve? You know, why, why are you doing this now versus six months ago versus why not in six months time, you know, asking them really, really good questions to find out what is it that's really driving them here? What are they really trying to achieve? And then, you know, and this is something that I do and I teach my clients and members as well is when you do up your proposal is to actually envelope all your pricing and packaging with those exact outcomes and benefits that the potential client talked about. So you would say something like, you know, in our conversation, you mentioned that it was really important that this workshop not only have these features, but that it would have these results as well, or that you would meet these benchmarks or that you would get this future outcome, for example, this is what we're going to work towards. So now you're not so focused on the price, you're focused on the fact that I asked you and I cared about what was important to you and I remembered and I you know, wrote down and I'm reiterating to you, I understand what's important to you and this is what I'm going to aim for. I'm not just giving you options to, to sell you something. I'm actually right. really, really interested in you know, getting you the results that you want. So offering options, mm -hmm. making sure that you're communicating, asking lots of questions, you know, be, I always tell people, people to be insatiably curious about their, mm -hmm. uh, about their clients. The other piece of advice I would give is to, if there are others who have given that workshop before or given that, you know, event or service before I would go to them and ask them what they were paid. So um, there's an interesting example I had earlier in the year. I was asked to give a, um, an online keynote 
and I didn't really know what to charge. So this happens to me sometimes as well, because this was a totally new group. I had never met them before and I was just like, and I needed to come up with a price really quickly. And so I was like, oh, what do I do? And so I actually went to my mentor, um, Mark Stiving, who's a a pricing expert and he's been in pricing for like a thousand years. He won't mind me saying that. (laughs) And, um, and he said, you know, uh, let them know that your, uh, you know, your usual fee is X amount, but, you know, to ask them what their budget is and then to see if you can work within something like that. And he said, for the X amount, set it at like an industry standard, like a really good industry standard. And I wasn't sure about it, but I did it. And then when I asked them for their, for their budget, they actually came back and they offered me a price that was about double what I would have originally quoted anyway. So it turned out to be a really, really good strategy. One of the techniques in there was anchoring. So when I originally said, oh, my normal fee for this is X amount, that X amount actually anchored them really, really high. And it creates what's known as a reference price. So that's like the first price that they see. And that's what they're kind of anchored to in their mind. And it influences the other numbers that they they come up with. That's a really cool uh, psychological thing, that one. That's cool. Yeah, you're really showing your psychological background here. <laughs> yeah. I really, yeah, I love it. It's so, it's making me go, damn, I, maybe I, sh- I need to go take some courses. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really good. It's, it's super interesting. You know what uh, you made me think of when you were talking there, hmm. though, is that you said that they needed an answer right away, right, or quickly. Do you agree, though, that it's important to make sure that you take a bit of time to process? Because I think sometimes when people want an answer right away, we can often give them the wrong number and it could go either way. We quote it too high or we could quote it too low. It's, it's always preferable to take time, definitely, to understand the customer. But there are going to be some times where you just need to give a quick response. And I would say yeah. that you shouldn't worry about quoting too high. You should worry about quoting too low because that's what most people will do anyway. The good thing, excuse me, the good thing about quoting too high is to remember that your price actually tells a story. And so whenever you give a quote to somebody, you're basically telling them, this is what I charge. This is what other people pay me. And so even if that customer comes back and says, oh no, I'm sorry, that's too high for us. We can't afford you. I've at least told them a story with my pricing about the kind of quality that I give, the kind of value that I give them, the prices other people pay me. So, and a, a big part of that is being okay with no, I'm okay with losing business like I I am okay with having a low conversion rate because when I do get it um, or even when I don't get it the people who say no they end up having a really high perceived value anyway and then you know later come back and say I really want to work with you at that price that you gave me and I can afford it now Um, so but a lot of people will will be afraid of that they'll be afraid of the no they'll say I can just make it up in volume. You know, I'll just take on like 10 clients a month and, and just work really, really hard and things, but you can end up being burnt out. You end up being less valuable if you're burnt out. Um, you know, people start to expect you to always work for those sort of lower or not great prices. Um, so I, I always tell people, you know, don't be afraid of quoting too high because it's actually still doing a really positive thing in terms of your price branding and how people perceive your value. I have like five questions about what you've just said. Yeah, so no, that's okay. One and then I'll go back. Yeah, sorry. Right. So in your experience, do you find that women are asked to do a lot of things for free? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's, why the um, hell, girl? Tell uh, me why. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a combination of things. I think um, 
Number one, you know, women are stereotypically nicer. We tend to say yes to a lot of things. We're, we're brought up, you know, depending on how you were raised, you know, you might have seen your mum doing a lot more or all of the unpaid labor in the home, you know, the all of the child rearing, all of the housework and things like that. We're used to seeing um, women usually being the ones being really hospitable and cooking and bringing around meals and caring for the elderly parents and, you know, caring for the kids and, and doing those sorts of things. So I think it's a cultural thing as well as a, you know, a bit of a social thing as well. We're used to seeing it. The other thing too is that um, I think I think there's a bit of a pressure to do that as well. I, I'm in a lot of business forums where you know I'll see a post by someone saying, "Oh, a friend has asked me to do something for free. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't even know if I want to charge her money." And there'll be a lot of comments from other women too saying, "Like, yeah, I really struggle to charge." Um, you know, friends or family, or I really struggle to charge people who um, are on a pension or things like that. So I think there's a little bit of, there's still a little bit of guilt almost tied to earning money sometimes. I think it's also yeah. a case of, um, you know, I need to do this for free so that I can get experience. So, I mean, the, the answer to your question is yes. The, the reasons are just, there's so many. It's a combination of a lot of different things. Right. Okay. That was good. That was so good. In uh, the Raw Raw podcast, I interview a friend, Claire Ness. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for our listener at home. And, and I loved our conversation because she was talking about how when you're asked to do something for free, when you do it for free, the client comes back and just assumes that you'll always do stuff for free. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I thought was really important to remember, because mm -hmm. even if you are wanting experience, there should be an exchange of value on some level. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing that she mentioned, which I thought was really good, she always thinks about whether or not something is actually worth her time and would she mm -hmm. rather be doing something else? And do you think that's kind of sometimes an indicator as to whether or not you should move forward with something? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, there's certainly, of course, like, you know, if a, if a friend came to me and said, you know, will you help me come and do some like house thing, you know, help me do up their house or something, of course, I'm not going to charge them money for it. But I, th yeah. I think it does come down to, you know, how it makes you feel, how you feel about the relationship and everyone has their own rules. You know, some people will never charge family. Some people will never charge friends or family. Um, and that's okay. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. so long as you are very strong in your boundaries, you know, you can say yes yeah. to people. So, you know, if I, um, I actually did have a friend whose business was struggling and I, and I helped him for free for quite an extended period of time. Um, but I was also very, very clear up front and I said, you know, this is what I'll do for you. And this is how much of my time that you'll be able to have, because I also need to respect the, I need to have really good pricing integrity and respect my other clients who are paying me. Yeah, right. Paying. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. But you know, I, that's who I am though. Like that's the rule I have for myself is that if I have a friend who's a business owner and they're struggling, like I, I'm of course going to help them. But you know, if you decided that I don't want to do that, like that's okay too. You know, you need to make yeah. that, but you need to make the decision and you need to make sure that you think through what your boundaries are going to be and be really upfront with them and communicate them really well. And don't be afraid to say no. Like it's okay to say no. If someone asks for something for free or, you know, someone asks for help with something, if you don't want to do it or you can't do it, say no, it is okay. And you're not a bad person for saying no to someone. Yeah, exactly. And chances are they'll find somebody else who can do it, which is also yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. One thing that you brought up earlier that I wanted to go into as well was 
I thought it was really important that you were talking about how even if you overquoted and they they take a pass on your quote, let's mm-hmm. say, they may come around again. And I'm just going to use this ridiculous example because yeah. it's super easy and I'm sure many people can relate. I was looking for yoga pants online. Okay, now I think I was looking on Amazon or eBay. So there are all these yoga pants, but they were too cheap. I didn't want the super, super cheap ones. I wanted ones that I thought <laughs> might not show my underwear line when I wear them, for example, yep. or might fit me like a normal person <laughs> instead of a really small, small person, right? So I guess I'm just trying to show that in my own experience, mm. that's me looking for something more expensive because I have a perceived, I, I believe that it's going to be a better quality. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you're talking about is you're saying that, hey, your price is giving people this perceived, you know, sort of what I'm perceived value, perceived value. Yes. The perceived value that you're, you're worth more. Yeah, exactly. And so, because there's nothing, there's nothing in the human brain that can interpret something's value, right? But there's nothing in our brain that can tell us, oh, that's worth this much. If I showed you a bottle of wine without a label on it, even if I got you to taste it and everything, and I asked you, how much is this worth? You would have no idea. I mean, even, even connoisseurs might say, um, you know, this is an expensive wine or this is a cheap wine, but even they wouldn't be able to say this is worth exactly this much because yeah. it might be worth that much to you, but to someone who doesn't like wine, it's going to be worth <laughs> zero. It might even have a negative yeah. value, right? And so yeah. what our brain does is our, our brain actually relies on symbols and signals to tell us about the value of something. So I like to to illustrate the concept of your price as a story, I like to use the car yard story, if I could share it with you yes. for a moment. So imagine you imagine you walk into a car yard, right? And all the cars there for sale for like 40 grand, 50 grand, and you come across this car and it's got a sticker on the windshield that says $500. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? It's broken. Yeah, it's broken. It's, it's crap. You know, it's not going to work. It's not reliable. Yeah. Can't trust it. But you have never seen this car in your life. You've never driven it. You, you haven't talked to anyone who's driven it. You know nothing about this car. All your brain has yeah. done is seen a number, right? And all it's done yeah. is gone, oh my goodness, I've come up with this story in my mind about this car just by looking at a number. So that number there is a symbol, right? And so what our brain does is it compares things as well. And it goes, well, if all those other cars are and this is 500. It must not be that good. Otherwise it wouldn't be so cheap. Okay. Now your customers do the exact same thing to you in the marketplace. So they're going into the marketplace. They're looking at everyone else. They're looking at everyone else's prices and they're looking at your prices. It just depends on what kind of story you want your pricing to be telling people, Mm. you know, would you rather it be saying, I am really high quality. I am worth this. I create really great value for people. This is how people value me. Or do you want people to go, oh, why is it, why is it so low? Like, you know, have a little bit of doubt about maybe the quality that you're going to bring them, which can lead to more problems down the road. Yeah, I love that. So I have a friend and she was doing a workshop in her area and she I think was charging something along the lines of $85. And then these other people came to town and they were doing a similar (sighs) workshop. They were charging 45 and she didn't know what to do. And I was like, stick, stick to your guns. There's always going to be people that are willing to pay more for, but she didn't do it. She didn't, she didn't listen to me. (sighs) Oh no. She dropped her price to 65. She dropped her price to 65 and it's like, okay. And she, and it's funny because talking to her years later, she regrets doing that. But at the same time, you kind of get into this place of, 
insecurity, I suppose, where you start to undermine yourself. You go back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, which was essentially, you know, all these things that go into our mindset of whether or not we're worth it, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it is insecurity and I think it's also just lack of knowledge, right? Um, A lot of people have these assumptions that, you know, cost plus pricing is how I need to price or I need to charge per hour or, um, you know, what is it? Supply equal, you know, supply and demand, you know, those sorts of things. Whereas sometimes that's not true. There are, there's a lot of research to indicate that in some cases, when you increase the price of something, you increase the demand. So there was a, um, there was like a car wax that was specially designed for, BMW or Mercedes or something like that. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's an excellent example, but they were selling it for like four or $5 per this little like container and they were really struggling to get sales. And so what they did was they raised the price to like $30, right? Like a really, really huge increase and their sales just skyrocketed. Right. Whereas you would expect, according to economic theory of supply and demand, that, you know, when you when you increase the price, volume goes down. But in this case, the opposite happened. And um, it's funny because the same thing actually happened to me. I mean, I don't sell car wax or anything, Um, but I was doing (laughs) I was doing in-person workshops, you know, way back when when we could do that. And um, workshops are very, very common in my area but they're, they tend to be very low price, like about $20, $30. And I came out and I think I did my first one at about 40 or 50. And I got a really good turnout. I sold out the workshop. And then for my next workshop, I raised the price by about $20 up to 65. And yes, girl. I, yes, girl. Yeah, and I sold out like three weeks before it. So, you know, not only did I increase the price and I still got people, I increased the price. I had more demand than for my former one. So, and I always like to tell that story because, you know, when I say to people, you know, what do you think about increasing your prices? And they'll say, no, I can't do that because I won't get customers. I won't get, I can't do that because, you know, no one will buy from me. And then I always like to give them stories like that to show them that, no, it's not true. Like it's not always the case that if you increase the price that you will decrease demand. It's not, it's just not all the time. I love that. Uh, One of the things that I've been talking to Michelle about for ages is increasing her prices. And she finally did that. And one of the things that I do, you know, encourage people to do is if you're a service provider, and I know you'll, if you agree, uh, disagree, you'll let me know. Um, you're, you're free to do that. But <laughs> if you're a service provider and you're too busy, increase your prices. Yep. Yep. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a podcast co-host, Ed Kless, who's, whose favorite response to people saying, you know, I'm really busy is just increase your prices. And, and I, I yeah. tell people to do that often as well. I'm like, if you are busy, that means your time is more valuable yeah. And that means you that's one of the ways that you earn the right to increase your prices is that if so many people are wanting to work with you, if you're providing so much value, you've earned the right to increase your price for sure. Definitely. Yeah. One of the things that I struggle with myself is that I have an established sort of hourly rate. And I guess when people ask me to do work, I automatically default to that depending on what it is, of course. But sometimes I feel embarrassed to explain my what my hourly rate is. And I'd almost rather do it for free or not at all, just to avoid that subject. Do you notice other people deal with that too? Or my special case? I go, no, 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 no. This is, this is so many people. And I mean, I could, I could talk to you for 10 hours about the subject of hourly rate. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So um, I have spoken to a lot of different people and sort of helped people get out of 
charging hourly rates. I, I'm really, really not a fan. And there's, there's several reasons why. And I've, I've made um, blog posts on it. I've made a podcast and a video on it um, about some of the reasons why there's, there's a lot, but the main thing is, is that, you know, if your customers come to you, they really don't value your time. They don't care about your time. They care about the results that you can get for them. The price that they pay is going to be based on their willingness to pay. Right. And so if they're coming in and they think that you're, they're paying for your time, their willingness to pay for that is around about here. So a lower amount, whereas their willingness to pay for the outcomes they want is a way up here. Right. So your time, you know, if I say to you, I'm going to spend an hour, you know, with you, that doesn't really tell you anything. It doesn't give you any sort of concrete knowledge to go off to say, this is what to expect, or this is what's going to happen if yeah. I spend an hour with Courtney. Whereas if I say to you, I'm going to spend an hour with you and I'm going to help you solve this exact problem, right? All of a sudden you've got a concrete piece of knowledge. You know, you can sort of imagine what impact that's going to have on your life, on your business. And you're going to have a much higher perceived value of that. You're going to have a higher willingness to pay for that as well. It's also very difficult. As you said before, you know, if you help someone, if you have an hour consult with somebody and they go off and they earn an extra 12 grand a year, how do you say to someone like I charge $1,200 an hour? It's really, really hard to say to someone I charge, you know, that much an hour because people tie it to the hour. And because when we are yeah. going into a buying mode, the brain is very much on high alert. We really don't like losing money. We really don't like losing economically. And so we are already very, very sensitive about the things that we're paying for and what we're getting and what the level of risk is. And there's a lot of psychology and behavioral economics here, which is really fascinating, but that's another, that's a whole other concept as well. But, um, you know, when you go into a conversation with someone saying, this is my hourly rate, they're only thinking about the price, right? They're only going to be thinking about that. They're not thinking about the value. And so that's where value pricing comes in as a really great counter, because when you go to value-based pricing, both of your, um, basically both of your objectives are aligned for you and the customer. When you have an hourly rate, you know, you're actually incentivized to work longer, whereas the client is going to want you to work less time so that it costs less money. But in value-based pricing, you want to increase the value you provide because you'll get paid more and you can make the client happy and they want to increase the, the value that they get so that they get a better outcome. So now both of you are like on the same page. So it just, oh yeah, there's, as I said, I could talk about this a lot. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was freaking awesome. You know why it's so funny that you're bringing that up because I actually had a client and she was stuck in this hourly rate thing because she was doing too much work for the amount that she'd sort of originally quoted, right? So then I recommended because of the type of work she was in to do packages. So it's like, hey, you want this outcome, you're going to get XYZ in this outcome for this amount, or you're going to get XYZ for this amount. But I wasn't thinking of doing that for some of the circumstances that I've been stuck with. So do you do you think that packages are a good way to go? It kind of goes back to your your multiple offers or you know, is that kind of how you suggest people kind of start getting out of the hourly rate situation? Uh, I, I wouldn't, it depends on what they're selling. You know, if they're selling services, definitely look at doing packages. There's this example def- is service-based. Yeah. Yep, service-based. Yep, got it. So definitely for service-based businesses, if they're wanting to get out of hourly rates, going to something like packages is a really good idea, you know, and tie it to things like um, outcomes. So uh, you know, and you can, you know, as a first step, you can stick with 
pricing a set of uh, like inclusions or features. So I might say to, you know, I have a VA and social media manager and I'll say to her, look, this is what I need each month. Um, you let me know what you think is a fair price to pay. So she doesn't have like set packages for me or that. I let her know what I need and then she lets me know how much she wants for it. But we have a really good relationship that way. And that's also another way that you can value prices. You can say to someone, um, you know, this is, this is what I need. Or if someone says to you, this is, this is what I can do. What do you think is a fair price? And you have that conversation with them, but you do really need to have a really good relationship with the person. You need to trust them that, you know, they're going to, not deliver rip you off yeah they're going to deliver and, and things like that so mm. definitely going into something like packages learning how to do packaging is it's a pretty complex thing to do well and it's something that takes a lot of testing and the packages yeah. that you start with are not the packages you'll have forever like you'll keep changing them as your customers change as their needs change as their perceived value changes over time yeah. uh, so don't be afraid to set up you know, a few packages and like there's, there's, as I said, there's a lot that goes into it, but you know, don't worry about it being perfect is the best advice that I would give. Don't worry about it being too perfect for now. Your customers will let you know what they value by which ones they pick. But basically mm. there's something in uh, behavioral science called the magnetic middle. And so whenever you have like three options or multiple options, humans really don't like extremes because we're very risk averse um, that we, which we learned from prospect theory. Uh, we're very risk averse. We don't want to be too low. We don't want to be too high. We want to be somewhere in the middle because that's where it's safe. You know, if I'm in the middle, I'm average. I'm still part of the group. I've got a better chance of survival. This goes back to, you know, caveman days where if we got out of the cave, if we were thrown out of the cave, we got eaten by a lion and that was just not good. <laughs> and so we need to do whatever we could to make sure that we were always included and always safe, right? So yeah. we don't, that's why we're risk averse and we're not just like going out hunting at nighttime so the lions can eat us. So, you know, when you look at something like um, having options, oftentimes people will go for the, the magnetic middle, as we call it, because if I go for the low one, well, you know, I might not get enough. It might not be good. If I go for the high one, I might get ripped off. You know, maybe I'm, they're just trying to rip me off. I'm going to go with the middle one. So most people will go for the middle package. So doing good, better, best packaging where you have um, your really, really basic set in good and then better is good plus a bit more. And that's the one that sort of, most people would want slash need and then best is like your bells and whistles package it's like better plus all these million extras right and so if you set up your packages that way and you can set it up in such a way that you've got the very bare minimum that you are happy to do in your good package in the better package remembering that most people are going to want to choose that put in the things that most people will want and then in your best package your best package is a really great way to tell a story about the kind of value excuse me, and transformation that you can offer to your clients. So if you put heaps and heaps of bells and whistles in there, it's your opportunity to say, this is what you could have from me, right? This is what I'm capable of. Um, but I know that these two are going to be you know, more closer to your needs and more closer perhaps to your budget as well. And so people will feel safer then to choose the middle option. Wow, girl, that is very good. I yeah. love that. <laughs> Thank you. So how often should you adjust your pricing? Because you were kind of talking about how, you know, maybe the packages you start with aren't the ones that you end with. We just heard the um, the good, better, best, or I think that's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool, right? So how often should you be adjusting? Because also as we learn and read and practice our skills are being refined. Like yeah. the hourly rate I was charging 10 years ago. I'm not charging that now. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, gosh. I would be very, very concerned if you were. 
Oh, how often should you change your prices? Look, it it's an impossible question to answer even generally because it really, really depends. I do think that you should be checking in with your customers pretty regularly anyway, just to make sure that you're giving them what they need. If there's any way else that you can help them, um, you know, be doing market research at least once a year, you know, doing surveys and things have, have like, like one-on-one conversations with your customers specifically to find out, Hey, what do you think of this? You know, how is this going? How can I improve? Asking really scary questions like what's the worst thing about working with me or why might you stop working with me? Um, You're asking those questions is scary, but it's really, really important to do uh, because that's when they will tell you things that will tell you what's really, really important to them. I might even tell you things that you should be aware of, but you might not be as well. So I think that if you're, you know, if you set up your packages, certainly don't be afraid to change them, but just don't change them too often unless they're not the prices aren't seen, right? If your prices aren't on your website, then it doesn't really matter how often you change them. You might might also do um, something like grandfathering your pricing. So you might have your pricing for all your current customers and then you might decide to increase your prices, but that price increase is only going to apply to new customers. Or you might have your, um, you might decide to test the willingness to pay of your customers and maybe you don't have any prices on your website. So a lot of consultants do this uh, for like their projects and things like that, one-on-one with their clients. Um, you'll get a client and you might charge them five grand and they say yes. And then the next client comes along and you charge them seven grand and they say yes. And so you keep going up in little increments. And then as your conversion rate starts to come down a bit, you know, once it hits like the, maybe like the 30 to 50% mark, that's where your target market's willingness to pay is, or that's your benchmark, right? Because willingness to pay is changing all the time and it's going to be different person to person. So you can never get the exact number, but you want to get as close as possible to that range of where the willingness to pay is. I like what you're talking about at the very beginning as well, because you were kind of talking about making making sure that you're clear on the outcomes or what your client needs. And so in a way, depending on how much they need you to deliver the outcome they're looking for, that could also affect, right? How you price things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they, you know, let's, let's say it's like an emergency, right? If they, um, I, it's not often. So now and then I will get an inquiry from a startup company and they've done literally everything, but market research. And they're like, they're ready to go. They're ready to launch. And they're like, Hey, we're launching next week. We just don't have a price and we need a price right now. Now, setting a price on something is not just a matter of coming up with a number and putting it on. <laughs> not? No. <laughs> if anyone at well, home thinks that it is up to this point, you yes, missed it. Start right. again. No, 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 no. Please, please don't message me asking me that. No. It's, it's so being really good at pricing, you know, having the kind of pricing where it makes sense for your customers, they're happy to pay it because you're communicating value really well. That is not a quick fix, right? It's a process that it can take, it can take months, honestly, it can take months to, to get to know your customers well enough to start producing, you know, developing the right kinds of products and services for your customers. So now and then I'll get an inquiry from a startup who, you know, they've done, lots of research for their product and they think it's a great idea and they think it's really valuable and they've already done their packaging and their branding and everything. And then they come to me and they go, okay, so now we just need a price. And I'm like, I, I could have helped you six months ago. I really can't help you in a, in a week because it's like, if you went to a surgeon and you had a tumor in your head and you said, I need to know by the end of today, whether this tumor is dangerous or not. And the surgeon's just going to look at you and be like, I, 
I can't tell you that there's so many things that they need to know. They need to ask you a bunch of questions. They need to run tests. They need to maybe perform surgery. You know, there's so much that needs to happen. It's just not a, it's just not a quick um, process. Um, And so the biggest thing I would stress with people is make sure you do that market research first, you know, talk to the people you're thinking of selling to and find out what do you value? What do you like about these products from other companies? What do you not like? What do you wish you had? What do you wish they did for you? What kind of outcomes and benefits are you looking for? Because that's, that is so, so important. And then trying to ask some willingness to pay questions as well is also a good idea. Okay. I love that. So when you're doing your market research, you didn't really mention there looking at the prices of your competitors. Was that intentional or is that Uh, something that you recommend people do as well? I, I recommend that's just something everyone should do. You should, it should act as a guardrail. So I think of competitor pricing and your costs as like guardrails on a road, right? So when you're driving down the road, the thing you look at the most tends to be the thing that you veer towards. You know, if you look this way too much, you're going to start veering that way. So your competitor's pricing and your own costs and things are kind of guardrails. They're things that you are aware of and you know about, but you don't focus on them per se. But yes, they're definitely still, still important to know. So yeah. all of your, in your market research, you know, you would still go out and see what your competitors are doing, how they're pricing. Um, but don't just assume that their prices are what your prices should be because you don't know what their overall business strategy is. They might have a completely different uh, business model to you. They might have different distribution channels. They might, you know, have different future plans and goals and things like it's, you just don't know yeah. why yeah. they've got that pricing. Yeah, exactly. Or even if they've done the work or if they've yeah. just picked a random number. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about numbers. Do you pay attention at all to numerology or the meaning of numbers? Because I was told that a lot of people convert when you end with odd numbers. Primarily sevens and threes are very highly thought after. <laughs> threes. Oh, threes is a new one. Um, so sevens, sevens? Is, sevens is very effective for e-commerce. I don't know about, you know, outside of e-commerce. Um, nine is very effective if you are selling something that is a really good deal or like a bargain price. We tend to associate nines with something being a really good deal. So if you sell something that's, you know, really high ticket, high value, I really wouldn't put a nine on the end of it. Um, I would put a round number. Yeah. It, It all comes down to the fact that we are really, really poor subtractors. Our brains are efficient but also at the same time, a little bit lazy. So if you're looking at something, so let's say that you see a really, really nice dress for $500 and then you see on the price tag that it's been crossed out and it says $399. Your brain, because it's trying to save time, we're getting loaded with so much information all the time. It's only going to look at the three and it's going to be like, oh my gosh, it's $200 off right? Even though you know consciously that it's only a hundred dollars off, your brain is still going to tell you it's $200 off. It's not even going to, not even going to process the other 99 there. it's very, very effective. Whereas if it was 500 down to 400, your brain would be like, Oh, it's only a hundred. Right. So just by making it 399, it's an, I know, I know. It's, That's it's, my brain exploding. Courtney. I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty amazing, you know, how the brain works in, in that sort of thing. There's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of things like that. I mean, down to, so restaurants and cafes are normally very good at this. You'll notice sometimes they don't even have the dollar sign or the font of the price is really, really tiny or they won't have the dot zero zero. So the dot zero zero is actually um, another symbol that the brain picks up. And whenever the brain looks at a number, 
it um, actually triggers a stress response in the brain, a bit of adrenaline, like, oh my gosh, this is something I'm going to lose. So whenever someone sees a price, you know, so this is why I don't like putting prices a lot on pages. Like when you've got, I don't know if you've seen those sales pages where it's like, this course is like $197 and then it's got the price all over the page. Every time you see a price, your right. brain is just like, this is what I'm going to lose. This is what I'm going to lose oh. because we're so risk and loss averse. Yes. So focused on it. So yeah, there's a lot. There's so much there around the psychology of numbers for sure. I freaking love that. And the whole time you were talking, I was thinking about Tom Hopkins. Have you ever looked at his stuff? I don't think so. Remind I'm me. I'm going to send it to you, Courtney, after. Okay. <laughs> he's a sales, um, he's like a motivational sales guy, but he's from oh, okay. the 80s, 90s, I think. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the biggest selling sales, uh, like in real estate, biggest selling sales guys in, uh, in the States. But one of the things that he talks about is your word choice as well. So yes. You don't say the cost, you say investment. Investment, yes. You don't I'm say a really sign big the contract, yeah. you say something like, I need you to authorize this. Authorize, yeah. Certain <laughs> words that you say and don't say because mm -hmm. our mind automatically puts up these objections. It just reminded me of that. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm doing a lot more reading and learning about like the linguistic side of pricing as well and looking at like word choices and things like that. So one of the things I do with one of my clients is I'll go over her newsletter and I'll just take out any like cost language or any uh, sort of like uncertainty language and things like that and just make it very confident and make it very high value communication um, throughout the whole document. So yeah, it's a, yes. it's a really cool thing. Well, I'll send you that YouTube. It is so good. Awesome. I'll put that uh, for our listener at home in the show notes as well. Just um, before we end off here, because we're already up to our hour, what a fascinating Gosh. conversation. Thank I you know. so much for your time. Thank are you. There, are there any tips and tricks that you wanted to, uh, or any just final comments that you wanted to mention that I maybe didn't ask you? Um, I think, I think the main one is, you know, really, I'd really love to encourage everyone to look into value-based pricing and to implement it. Um, because when you, are doing anything else other than that, you could be leaving so much money on the table. Like it's not funny, especially if you're using cost plus pricing, you know, if you're charging a hundred dollars an hour, but your customers are actually willing to pay $200 an hour, you're losing double, you know, every, every time right? So you're, you're losing so much money. So I, I really love to see businesses, especially small businesses and entrepreneurs paid well for what they do. You know, entrepreneurs work really damn hard. Yeah. And so, you know, if there's one thing that I can encourage people to do, it's in, adopt value-based pricing for sure. I love that. Thank you so much. So listen, how can people get a hold of you? I'm sure there are people that are listening that are going, damn, this girl knows exactly <laughs> what she's talking about. I want to know how to get a hold of you. You remember, you mentioned a membership earlier. Do you have a membership? Tell I me do. about what you, yeah. uh, what you want to. Yeah. So I have a, so I have a free group on Facebook called the pricing on the cake. It's a really, um, it's a really popular group. We've got um, lots of funny memes and things on there. I share a lot of pricing insights and resources. Um, I do have a membership as well where people can access me for an hour a week and you can access any sort of videos and I've got other content and goodies on there. Um, and you can find information about that in my Facebook group or my website is CourtneyDegan.com. And, um, if people want to reach out to me, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, email, reach out anytime. I love questions. I'll always answer emails that I get with questions. So yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch, I'm more than happy for them to do that. That's awesome. And I'll put um, all your links as well in the show notes. So that's really easy for people to find you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I have learned a lot and I just think it's so awesome to see someone like you doing the work you do. Cause I agree mm -hmm. with you that it is so important that if we're taking time away from our 
families of doing things that we want to mm. do that we're being paid adequately and compensated correctly for it. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me today, Lauren. It's been really fun. It has been fun. Thank you. All right. So that was Courtney Deegan, Lauren. Wow. Wait, I learned a lot. Yeah. I learned a lot in that episode. Yeah. There were a few terms that I wasn't familiar with. Like value pricing. Yeah. But I thought she explained that really well. And you asked some awesome questions because you know, your knowledge of business is a lot more developed than mine. So for me, that was a real kind of layperson's getting my head around it. But at the same time, I loved what she said about self-doubt and the imposter syndrome because we've done an episode on that. And so I really mm. related to that because we've both, well, I know I have definitely felt like that uh, when I was starting out. So, you know, that made a lot of sense to me. And in terms of, you know, the pricing, how it's associated with how we feel about ourselves and things like that, I really, I, that hit home that definitely hit home for me. Um, so yeah. What I love you- her example about the workshops, you know, yeah. where, you know, she was talking about even putting up her prices and still getting people, or even when she made that reference to, if somebody asks for a quote and you over, maybe you, maybe you don't even make the quote too high. You make it what you feel you're worth and mm. what it's worth. And then they pass on it that's not a negative thing. And I think sometimes we think that we need to get everybody's business right now, but kind of want to use that yoga pant example. There's always going to be somebody willing to buy something. And I'm really hesitant to buy anything that looks super cheap, you know, especially depending on what it is, right? If you're investing in a course or a program and it's only $50 and I'm not talking about $50 a month ongoing or whatever, like, you know, spirit team, but I'm talking about If you buy something that you expect to deliver a certain outcome and it's priced too cheap, you're automatically, even if it's got the goods, you're going to automatically think that there's something wrong with it. Yeah, I think. I totally agree. Completely agree. Yeah. I think like the biggest thing out of that for me, and and I did write down some quotes that she said because I um, really resonated with those. And we do like to use those when we're sort of promoting our show as well in social media. So I made a few notes about that, but I think the biggest thing, and it was around, uh, you know, workshops and things like that is I tried to do the spiritual media relations thing. And I did put it sort of a lot higher than I was really comfortable with, but I sort of asked around and, you know, one of the ladies that I spoke to who does this sort of thing, she sort of suggested, or she was basing it on what other people charge for that, what I'm offering. And they sometimes were charging around 1300 or 1500, which is probably okay. Like it's probably reasonable, but this was during COVID, you know, during the peak of COVID and things. And all of my other courses are quite reasonable, especially when you're doing it in a group, obviously if you're doing a group thing, then it's cheaper. But um, yeah, the spiritual media relations course that I was offering, I was pricing it below a thousand. So it's going to be 900 and something. And I had lots of people interested before they found out the price. And then I didn't have anyone move forward with it. So Mm. I kind of think maybe I need to go back and um, rework the program, rework the pricing based on what Courtney was talking about today. I'm going to go back and have another look at that because everything else I'm offering seems to be really, you know, people are taking it up, but the maximum I charge at the moment is about $60 a week. So I do think that's a little bit low, but yeah, I'm definitely going to go back and have another look at that now that um, I've listened to this episode and what, you know, Courtney had to say as well and see if it makes some changes. You need to just be okay with the price that you have. I mean, if you feel, I think, at all insecure, I'm not saying you do, but I I just mean in general about the price, then Mm. I think that that's going to kind of subconsciously not sell it for you. You need to be secure in 
whatever price you do. So just because someone says this price is, you know, the one you should do, if it's not in line with your values or your, yeah. your feelings, then I don't think you should do that. But yeah, I think you, you need to sometimes test these things out. It might mm. not be your price at all. It might be your pitch. You might not mm. have worded it in a way that they feel that it's for them. You might not have explained the problem and then the transformation and then the solution in a way that they resonate with mm. in their in their language. You know, it might not be the price at all. It might be the way that you're selling it to them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of reception after the pitch when I gave the pitch because I did it live. Um, I had a lot of people, I had seven or eight people, you know, say they were interested. And so when I sent them the content and the um, and the price um, outline, I just, yeah, no, I wanted to move forward with it. So I, I think it probably, yeah, no one, no one replied. So, um, and they're all people within the, mostly within the spiritual events directory group, like the show hosts, um, they were the ones who were interested. And I wrote, and I wrote in the group and I was like, Hey, you know, if anyone has any questions, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, no one replied, no one commented. So, um, Sarah, um, and another lady that I work with in a different community, um, they both said they thought it was perfect, like perfectly priced and like a lot lower, you know, than what other people charge. But, um, because they said 13 to 1500 and I ended up going under a thousand. So I sort of pulled it back to what I was sort of comfortable with, but, um, yeah, just no takers. So I think some people, one of the ladies is a business coach herself and, um, and she actually got me to write a bio for her. So quite a few people have said they want the bios, the media releases and things like that. So I'm doing media releases for people also. So I'm sort of thinking now maybe um, like breaking it up into you don't have to do the whole thing because people who are business coaches kind of know all of that anyway. Um, but if there's, you know, a lot of people don't do their own bios or don't know how to and media releases, then maybe that's where it's at. So um, I'm just charging mm. those as I go individually. And then, um, you know, someone might come along where they need to do all of the above. Um, but I did try to cram a lot into it. So I think maybe it was just too much. Not everyone wants to do all of that. So that's why I'm like maybe breaking it down. Break yeah. And I think payment plans might work. Packages might work. Yeah, I offer week to week. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. Well. And then I have um, um, a bonus if they pay up front. So I just give them an extra session, like an extra 30 minutes or something. Um, if they pay up front, but um, yeah, you can't go down. It, uh, sorry, it, you can go down. But it's really hard to go down. Yeah, whereas you can always increase your prices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So remembering that too is important. You know what I thought was really good in Courtney's conversation was um, you know when she talked about how if you go to the store and you see addresses for five hundred dollars and then the price is slashed and it says three ninety nine that people are yeah. lazy. Now I don't agree. I think I would look at it and go, it's only a hundred dollars off, but. That being said, she was saying in general, people look at it and they would see the three. Yeah. I thought that was such a wow moment where I it's went. Subliminal? It was it kind of what she was getting at is it's like a subliminal she saying, thing. She was saying that I think that the brain, it's difficult for the brain to subtract stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's challenging. Yeah. So they don't look at it. The brain doesn't automatically look at it and go 399 Oh, it's only $100 off. We go 200 Three. Yeah. It's two hundred dollars off. Yeah. The ninety nine kind of doesn't really factor in at all. Yes, I, I thought that was really fascinating. It's very clever, and I think there's a lot of stuff when you look at advertising because I studied marketing at uni, and I know that you've got a background in that as well. I love. I find it fascinating when you watch movies or advertisements, and you see all the subliminal messaging in it. 
And it's so interesting because we watch things not consciously, really. Like a lot of the time we just zone out. We just want to go somewhere else. We just want to forget about our week or whatever the case may be. And there's so much subliminal messaging uh, in ads. And that's a really clever one. I really like that because I would look at that. I'm not great with maths, but I would look at that and go a couple of hundred bucks off. Or I would use that to win my husband over when he saw the bill. I'm like, but it was $200 off. So it's a win-win. I think a lot of women would uh, look at it that way. Yeah, that's so funny. So let's talk about, I kind of mentioned in the conversation with Courtney about you raising your prices. So I I guess I'm curious about your journey as to why you weren't wanting to raise your prices initially. And then the other thing I want to mention actually before you respond is that you know, the comment about when I, you know how I asked, like, do women get asked to do a lot of things for free? Yeah. And it's true. And I thought that was really interesting. So I didn't know whether or not, you know, as women, we're still working at our value and, you know, and I kind of made the example of me sometimes being embarrassed about what my hourly rate is and that Mm. I don't, I'd rather just do it for free than go there because it's, it's a high rate. My hourly rate is a high rate Yeah, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to change it. So mm. it, but then at the same time, doing it for free is probably almost worse. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I'm saying a lot of things right now. I guess I have a lot going on in my brain. So what are your, what are your thoughts on anything I've said or on, on raising your prices where women working for free, you know, I, I think Courtney said it really well when she said that um, I can't charge that much because I'll lose my customers. And that was my fear. So it was definitely my, my fear. And I think that based on what I was just saying to you before, when I did raise my prices and then the following week, I didn't have as many bookings coming in. It kind of confirmed that for me, but also what you said hit home before you were talking about the fear. And then sometimes you can create, you know, if you have fear around something in particular, especially with the $99 with the reading healing, I was like, Ooh, you know, but that was only $9. That was a $9 increase, which isn't that much. I know a lot of people charge 150 bucks an hour for something even remotely similar. My friend, no. And my friend on the Gold Coast charges double everything I do. So everything that I charge, she charges double. So my readings were 60. She charges 120 for an hour. So, you know, she was like talking to me, pep talking me, going, Michelle, you got to put your prices up. You're too cheap, rah, rah, But I'm like, I'm not going to go double, you know, straight away. So I said, well, I'll put them up 10 bucks. And, you know, my readings are still really popular. So the numbers for those are good, but the reading healing did go down. So I don't know if it was my fear creating that, but when I put it back down to 95, I did start to have those bookings come back in. So I do feel more comfortable with it at 95. Mm-hmm. And down the track, you know, when I'm doing this for a little bit longer, I'll look at putting them up again. But that was certainly something that I was worried about. And when Courtney said that, I really felt that, you know, I can't charge up much because I'll lose customers. So I haven't found really that I've lost customers. My regulars are still booking me and stuff like that. So it's all good, but it is still scary. It's definitely a scary process because I've charged 60, even when I was working full-time as a journalist and doing this part-time I've been charging 60 since I started. So really, you know, doing this full time for six months and I know that I've improved, I should be, I should be charging more than 60 bucks. I should be charging more than 70, but I'm definitely not at that point yet where I can, I'm just not even there mentally. I think it takes mentally. a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of adjustment um, to get to that point. And I also loved what Courtney said about our upbringing influencing our feelings around money because my dad has always been very big on 
you get a job and you stay in it for a hundred years, you don't go anywhere else. So he would always freak out because I'm in radio. I was just like here, there and everywhere, all over Queensland, la la la. And dad's like, oh my God, you know, you got to stay in the same place. What are you doing? Um, and their mom's like, you know, women should be at home because my mum didn't work since she married. And so mum's always been like, you should be at home, like, you know, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Like, what are you doing working? Because you're taking, mum actually said you're taking jobs from other men, from men, not other men. I'm a lady. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, wow. completely, completely different, um, attitudes. So I've grown up with kind of that in the back of my mind, um, where I'm taking jobs from men and things like that. And then now I'm self-employed and it's like, how do I, how do I put a price on that? And that's, that's the tricky thing. And I do compare to other people and I know other people are charging a lot more. Um, uh, but you know, the benefit of charging a bit less, I think, is that I have regulars who book me sometimes two and three times a week. So where I'm getting $180 or now uh, 210, because I put them up 10 bucks, 210 bucks versus me charging 120 and maybe only having the book with, with me once a month because that's all they can afford. Mm. So, you know, and I did do, when I uh, studied at TAFE, I did business management and we did a little simulate exercise. And I remember our prices were quite affordable, but we did a lot of advertising, like a lot of advertising. And we actually had a successful business and it was like a proper simulator. I'm sure you probably have seen, seen or done something similar to that. It was very, very realistic and no one else put as much money into advertising, marketing and promoting themselves as what we did. And our business was still running at the end, whereas everyone else had gone bust. So I think based on, because we did look at our pricing very carefully and, and I was like, well, you know, more people can afford to do this. I always believe that. I feel like, and this ties in with what we're talking about today, I feel like if you do charge a little bit less than others, so let's say we're undercutting them slightly, then, you know, that's what Woolies did and Coles when they came into different markets, you know, um, regional centres with their petrol stations. You know, they just undercut, undercut, undercut. And eventually the other guys went out of business because where are the people going to go? If you're charging, you know, 40 cents or 50 cents for your petrol and everyone else is charging, you know, two bucks, you know where you're going to go, you know? So I kind of think there is something in that, but then you see Woolies and Coles, they boost their prices back up to normal and then everyone's like, ah, oh. <laughs> and the other guys have gone. So there's less competition. So I don't know. I'm in two minds about that, about the pricing. I, mm. I do think I would like to still remain kind of a little bit under everyone else because I feel like I get so much repeat business from that. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Mm. Well, you need to do what's good for you, I think, number one, and what's in line with your values. I think that's really important because if you have fear going into it or you're making decisions that aren't mm. honoring your truth, it's going to have a rollout effect for sure. For me, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't think I have money mindset issues. I think sometimes it's easy for me to go, ooh, like to feel guilty about spending money maybe, but I'm working on, you know, remembering that when I'm spending money, it's going out into the world and it's coming back and stuff like that. When we think of our consumers and our products, we do want to make sure that, you know, we're essentially we're making whatever it is that we are selling or, or our services accessible to the people that we want to buy them. That's the other thing. So with the spirit team, I raised my prices yesterday as well. So I decided at this stage, it's uh, we're recording this in October. They're now at $57. I feel good with that. I still think it's pretty cheap considering what you get, yeah. but I want 
them to, I want the price to be accessible to small to medium sized business owners who want to grow their business and might not have, you know, as much cash right now to, you know, invest in, in certain things. So I want to give them the best that I can at a price that they'll feel comfortable with and yet still make an impact on their business, you know, and then eventually I'm sure they'll be able to pay more, but I feel comfortable with that price at the moment. I think that, you know, I would like to have it above a hundred eventually, but right now I want it to be accessible to the people that I want to be accessible to. So that means maybe I won't ever get to a hundred who knows. So it's just, again, it's just going in line with what I want, knowing that my price point is still competitive for memberships and things like that compared to what other people are doing. Uh, yeah. So I guess I don't even know if I've answered your question necessarily. I just no, think no, that, you did. yeah, yeah. You need to be, yeah. need to be aware of what other people are selling their stuff for, for sure. So we can get in the game, you know, yeah. market research and whatever that's for sure. True. But at the same time, it's still up to us to do it. And you, it's difficult if ever to go down. So the fact that Correct. we're going up is really important because yeah you know, we're also spending a lot of hours. We've done years and years, like I said, in the conversation with Courtney, how can I charge you an hourly rate for something that's taken me 15 years to learn? Mm. Like it just can't. A, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a good point. Really good point. I really like the way you said that, the way you phrased that. Um, no, I think you answered that incredibly well. And it is difficult because we're just kind of going by feel. A lot of this is just going by feel, but um, it does often just come down to that promotion and marketing because there are other people doing what you're doing. There are other people doing what I'm doing, but we know that we do an excellent job. We just have to reach those people to let them know. I think that's, you know, kind of the key, regardless of what we're charging, you know, because I think once people yeah. meet you and I, they go, yeah, like they're genuine, you know, they're authentic. They're going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver. So I think it's just and reaching reaching more eyes. Yeah. Reaching more eyes. Yes. Yeah. And it comes back to our last, you know, episode where we were talking about, you know, how I'm struggling at times to promote all the stuff that I'm doing, you know, when I was kind of thinking to myself, Oh, I haven't really had any spirit team people join, you know, too recently. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I haven't been promoting it. Mm. So what am I, what do I expect? Mm. You know, and the thing is that, yeah, it's, I've got it as promos in my podcast and things like that, that people listen to, but it's not a strong enough, you know, message to convert. It's more yeah. of like a branding kind of thing yeah. that people get in their minds that this spirit team exists. And then they need to see it in another area and another area and another area. And then they need to be, you know, kind of reminded this is a service for them then they need to try it and then they'll convert right mm, so mm. it's a long ass process but at the same time i need to keep reminding people it's there and that's one of the exactly. things that you know we've talked about is you, you can't just give 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 value you also have to do the asking yep. but you still need to build your relationships with your customers which is i think we talked a bit about that in that episode with david on the emailing Mm. Have you thought about how you're going to, as a, you mentioned cold calling and, and that sort of thing and sending out emails, but is there like Facebook advertising? Do you think that's worthwhile, you know, for listeners at home, if they're going through what we're sort of talking about? Uh, right now I've wasted money on that. I definitely mm. think that there is, 
that it's important to do if you entrust somebody who knows what they're doing or if you have money to spend at it. I, I'm in a uh, coaching program as well right now where um, she basically says not to buy ads until you're making $10,000 a month Holy on what you're doing, crap. on what you're selling. Yeah, wow. because she, she's all about not relying on ads because a lot of people, they buy ads, right? And then they they don't always get a return on investment. They waste a lot of money and things like that. Whereas you can figure out a lot through networking, through cold calling, through emailing, through DMing people, through working on, um, you know, like profit sharing agreements, kind of like what I was talking about before. So if you introduce me to your audience and then they convert, then you get a percentage of the first conversion or, you know, depending on what it is. Yep. So I, I yeah, I think that, you know, if, if you want to boost some stuff here and there, I do it, but I'm not a Facebook expert. And I think that it's really easy to waste a lot of money and I've done it myself. So I think that if you're not really hundred percent sure, and you haven't tested out your language and that that's not all working yet, then I don't think you should waste your money on it. But if you've got words that work, like your messaging is working, your price points good, people are converting, and then you just want to let more people know, then I guess it would make sense to do that then. Yeah. I like pretty easy to waste money if you're not careful. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I love um, uh, Gary Vee. I follow him on LinkedIn and and that's someone that you pointed me in the direction of. And he was saying something very cool. I was listening to one of his um, live shows that he does where he answers questions and things like that. And he was talking about how, because I've noticed lately he's been doing some cartoons and I love where they do the uh, flip book, you know, where they flick through the pages yeah. and it, it shows you a picture. And he was yeah. talking about the cartoons and things just going off there, like going crazy, you know, with people looking at them, commenting, reacting, all of that sort of stuff. And he is just experimenting. Like he said, I'm just experimenting. I'm just trying different things. And I found the cartoons are working super well. So he was chatting about that in one of his um, stand-up shows. And I just thought that was awesome, you know, because that's all we can do really. It's all by feel. As I said, it's sometimes like feeling your way around in the dark. But uh, I think that was uh, a really great point. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm going to settle in the cartoons for now. And then, you know, we'll look at other things and other things that work. And people like that are very innovative and they're kind of always one step ahead. And that's what I love. Yeah. It's like, you know, they're yeah. leaders, they're showing us the way and we're learning from that. So we're all learning from their experience, but there's got to be someone who, is that trailblazer, you know, who just goes out there and does it. And then we're all like, hooray, we're going to benefit from whatever Gary Vee is doing or whatever the other bigger personalities. The thing too is A and B testing. So if you have a, um, like if you have a cartoon, let's just use that. And then you have a meme with a photo, you could, you could do the exact same thing. You could post the exact same text. You could do all that. You could change the image and then you could see what people are engaging more with. And then you refine it from there. So let's say they're all engaging with the cartoon. Then you go, okay, so what if I do the exact same cartoon, but I slightly modify the text on one? Will one of them work better than the other one? And that's how you do with A-B testing is you basically pin two concepts against each other. You see which one is working and then you continue to modify it. Yeah, that's on. why like a lot of these people who are these ad experts, a lot of them know certain formulas or strategies or how to target the ads. And, you know, like there's a lot that kind of goes into it. I've been able mm. to f- kind of fake my way around Facebook ads. I haven't done a lot with Google ads. Uh, but at the same time, 
you know, sometimes you just need to just try something and see whether or not it's going to work. But unfortunately, you sometimes need to spend a fair amount of money as well to get the kind of reach or the kind of engagement that you want. Correct. So no, yeah. it's tough. Giving and receiving, isn't it? Giving and receiving big time. Um, so do we want to get into the party element, Lauren? Are we at that? Yeah. Let's do that. So you're bringing the party today and it's brought to you by, brought to us by Michelle R. Price, the light worker. Yeah. So Michelle R. Price, the light worker. I offer mentorship, my readings, my healings. I do some mediumship. I love teaching. So I also do workshops, um, well, mentorship, but also weekends away. If you have a weekend away and you want me to come along and do readings and healings or just readings, um, that's completely okay. And uh, I do clearings, house clearings. We spoke about Alice uh, last week, big ghost um, in Harvey Bay. So um, all of the above. So Michelle, I price a light worker on Facebook. I also have a Facebook live each Monday night. If anyone is interested in coming and looking at that, it is a little confusing now with our daylight saving because I'm an hour earlier in Queensland and an hour the same time in other states, but uh, mm-hmm. 6.15 in Queensland and 7.15 if you are on daylight saving times, a little bit more confusing. But I've got a couple of I will add to that, Michelle. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. We'll add to that. I will just say that, you know, for uh, your followers and stuff like that, what they want to do is especially on Facebook, you want to make sure you go in and you check your settings and oh, make sure that you ask to see Michelle first. Yeah. Because really no, no matter what the time zone is, you know, they'll get a notification that you're there and you yeah. can choose only 30 people to follow first. Oh, see first. Right. So oh, I didn't you want to make sure that. that you choose your favorites like business mm. in the front, party in the back, Robert mm-hmm. Consulting, <laughs> yeah. Michelle or Price Lightworker to see yeah, right. first so that you don't miss out on um, on those things as they happen. Good not that tip. they're not interesting to watch after anyway. Yes. No, good tip. So one of the thoughts I had, and this is a bit about the experimenting, but I just thought, and I did think to do this, but then I was too scared. I was like, oh, I'll just put them up and hope no one notices. Um, but before I put them up, I was thinking, wouldn't it be good to maybe do like a week of, this is a final week, you'll be able to take advantage of the current low prices. And I think I see businesses sometimes do that. And I thought, oh, maybe that's a way to put my prices up. But then I thought, oh my God, everyone's going to be really aware of the price increase. And I don't know whether I want to draw attention to it, but for some people that might feel right for them. And I did think that might be a good way for people to go, oh yeah, like I'll book this week and then uh, before they go up. So that was just an idea I had around that, but I was petrified. So if the listener at home does that, let us know. Um, how did it work out for you? But yeah. I did th- feel Can like I that comment was- comment um, on that? You know how you've increased your prices? Where are you putting your prices? Because you know how Courtney said you can kind of increase your prices at any time, mm-hmm. especially if they're not listed anywhere. Yeah, just on Facebook. So it's all it's all doable. There's nothing like written or nothing on my business cards or anything like that. So yeah, when they go to Facebook. check out, that's when they see the price. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, well, it's in my services. When I list my services, I have all the prices in yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So it's all easy. It was easy to change it to 99 back to 95. Um, I would never, I don't think I would ever put it on a business card because I think you would have to change, you'd have to change your cards all the time, but yeah, just on Facebook. So it was easy. So they can see it before they book, but the people who are regular bookers, they're just used to booking and they don't look at the price. So we'll have to have some conversations. So the recommendations and the party element today, Lauren, I found some really uh, hashtag inspo um, management30.com. So I was having a little dig around and I was thinking about the self-worth, um, self-esteem, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it, it does definitely reflect, I think, um, in terms of what we're willing to charge other people to see us. Um, for me, I definitely feel that. 
So first of all, and this is in terms of uh, charging what you're worth. And so they list these items. There's a bunch of different ones I'm going to read out, but it's um, listed each of these as your self-worth value. So what is your self-worth? How do you value yourself? So number one is you have positive self-esteem is number one. So that's something that we're all, I guess, working towards. And some of us are are doing great at that, you know, in terms of our self-esteem. And I definitely think I'm 44 now. And I think that I love myself a lot more than I have back in the day, you know, when I was in my teens. So uh, number two, yeah, is you recognize the difference that you make. And I think this is a really good one. And this, this is kind of a goosebumps one for me is I do feel like you and I both help a lot of people, you know, where I think we're both in service. We're Mm -hmm. at the, at the uh, front line, um, helping people, you know, guiding people, all that sort of stuff. Do we make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. So the next part is, I guess, getting the word out there, you know, that we're here, that we're ready to help, you know, and this is what we have to offer. So that one's a goosebump one for me. I love that. Number three is you see yourself as a peer. So this is, I guess, working with other people, you know, in a company, not so much self-employed, but seeing yourself as equal. And Gary V put something up the other day, which I loved. And it was about, um, it was a cartoon and it was um, a boss, you know, really speaking down to the people underneath him, subordinates, really speaking right. down to. And Gary V's point was that they don't work under you. They don't work for you. They work, you work for them, I think was what he said. It was the cartoon, you work for them, they don't work for you. And I love that because I'm like, if they feel like they're equal or, you know, they're really contributing, they're really valued, they're going to try a hell of a lot harder and that's going to work for your business. And I thought that was great. I thought that was great. We kind of work alone, but individually but when you're in a company I think that that would have made a difference for me in a lot of my workplaces different places I've worked at so I don't think I've ever worked in a place like that Mm. yeah it's rare it's definitely rare yeah Uh, probably in our industry as well Um, so number four you don't undercharge for your services and this is what we've been talking about today with our expert Courtney so we don't want to undercharge and I definitely think that I have been and you've just put up your prices which is awesome because we are worth, you know, probably a lot more than what we're, what we're charging. So undercharging is a good one. Number five, you're clear about your values and your boundaries. Now this is going to come into what we're talking about next week, which we'll outline in a second, but this is about boundaries. Um, You're clear about what's acceptable, how you'd like to be treated, how you'd like to be spoken to. Um, You do have the courage to speak out when necessary And you don't need external validation to prove your value. And this is something that I come across a lot, especially with my clients, which are mostly women, is that they look for validation in other people. And I have a lot of people come to me and say, oh, but he doesn't value me or my friend doesn't value me and this, that, the other thing. We have to value ourselves first. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do that for you. You don't need anyone else to do it for you. And that's where all the frustration is. It's like, why aren't you completing me? Why aren't you? It's not their job. No. It's not their job. And if our listener at home wants some reading on this, one of the best books of all time, and it's a super simple book. No, it's not The Power of Now, which I always talk about. It's called The Four Agreements, and it's by Don Ruiz Miguel. And he basically talks about if you live by these four agreements, you'll have the best quality life. And one of the agreements is not to take things personally. 
because Michelle and I were not born, I think I've talked about this before on the show, but we were not born in the same place in the same year to the same family. Like my family was very different from Michelle's family. You know, that means that we're not the same. That means that, you know, even though I love Michelle and if she respects something that I do or supports me or whatever, I go, that's nice of her. But if she thinks that I suck at something or that I, you know, something that I'm doing is maybe not good, but I'm, it's good with me, Mm. then who's right? Mm. So I think one of the, the things that I've been able to do for many, many, many years, and I actually remember I had this one aha moment. And sometimes I think that there, these aha moments are tied in around books that I've read, but I, you know, when you recall it, I can't be sure. But I remember when I was 19 and I went home from college and I was at home for Christmas and I went to the bar, like I'm kind of a small tip from a small city. And I walked in and I remember thinking, I don't care what anyone here thinks about me. And it was a really freeing experience because I think in a way I kind of relinquished needing approval, I suppose. Mm. And so when you learn, and this sometimes can happen quickly, sometimes it takes years and years, but when you learn that somebody lifting you up and propping you up could be just as detrimental as somebody putting you down. And you just start to realize that exactly what you said, Michelle, as long as you're good with you and honoring you as a full person, all these other outside factors don't matter anymore. And I think that that's a huge issue is that you're 100% right, that we get stuck thinking that, oh, I need to be, I need to please that person. I need them to like me, yada, yada. But you will never win everyone's approval. So just need to know that. So as soon as you put something out, yeah. Someone's going to go, God, that's awesome. Someone else is going to go, that sucks. Mm. Well, who's right? It doesn't mm. matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it really doesn't powerful. Matter. And it's taking back your control, which again is tying in with what we're talking about next week. It's taking back your control because otherwise you're just handing your control to everyone else. It's like, I'm getting my value from you. I'm getting my value from you, like all over the place. You're just putting out yeah. your attention out there all the time. And it's like, uh, no, it comes from here. So I believe we always have everything that we need in here to make us completely happy. And then whoever is external to us and they're doing whatever they're doing, great. You know, that adds to our value. But all of the value we need is is already here. That's my belief. And Michelle's touching her heart when she says that because for our listener at home, they're like, where is it? Yes, in my chest. (laughs) It's inside. So uh, number six, I thought was good as well. You're engaged in work that is exciting and fulfilling. And I think for both of us, we can definitely say, yes, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. So if you're doing those six things or trying, you know, working through those six things, then I think that's great inspo. And for me, that really hit home and it just made it very clear that, you know, as long as we're doing these things, we should be able to put our prices uh, to the point that we feel like, yeah, you know, I'm valuing myself. I'm definitely valuing myself. And that's yeah. the aim. So those, uh, that link, management30.com, will be in the show notes for this week. I'm also going to put the four agreements in that Lauren spoke about the book, mm-hmm. and that'll be in the show notes also. Yeah. And I guess, you know, if you're not doing the things on Michelle's inspo list, that's also fine. Be gentle mm. and kind with your journey, but yeah. know that if you want to improve, you can, it's on you. You're in the driver's seat. You don't have to seek other people's approval. You can learn how not to. 
You don't have to work in a job that you're not engaged in. That's not exciting and fulfilling. You have free will. You know, you don't have to talk down to people no matter who they are and what their role is. Everyone is the soul. Everyone is a human and they're doing the best they can regardless of their status. So, yeah, you know, we're in the driver's seat and we can shift and change at any time. We can always restart. That's the thing. That's exactly right. And something that you said really rang true to me, Lauren, I was sort of, when I was going through the pricing thing and thinking, oh my God, you know, people aren't booking and stuff like that. I was, I remember you saying something about, you know, what's the worst case scenario? And it was when you were talking to the guy who said that he wanted to do some sort of business, like do his own business. It was a guy oh, in the bookstore, yeah, the, the guy in the bookstore. And that yeah. came back to me and I thought, well, worst case scenario. And you know, the bookings, the bookings are still like, Hey, it's just not what I'm used to. Worst case scenario, I get a job. Like, you know, there's more jobs around now. There probably are yeah. some more journalism writing type jobs around. So I was like, worst case scenario, I get a job. I haven't spent my redundancy payout. So that's still there. Wow. Like, yeah. you know, because I started working doing this straight after like two weeks after. So yeah, I just think, what am I worried about? There's nothing to worry about. So I I kind of got through the funk that way and booking started coming back in. So it is a lot about energy because what I'm doing is energy. So I I think that once I got over that in my head, um, that made such a difference. And that, that story came back to me um, when you said Mm. to the guy, you know, you can give it a go, put some extra cash in as long as it's not like your life savings and, and the stuff you rely on every day put some cash yeah. into this, see if it gets off the ground. If it doesn't, what have you got to lose? You go back and do what mm. you were doing before. So I appreciate that, you know, cause that definitely helped uh, pull me through. Mm, good. And one thing I, I don't know if I told you or if you brought this up, I can't remember where I heard this. It was, I think on one of my podcasts or ours anyway, but it's basically saying that if you already had a million dollars in the bank, act like that. And so I think that if we don't come at it from a sense of, oh, I need to make the money and da, da, da. Like Mm -hmm. for me, honestly, the spirit team, yeah, I eventually that's going to bring in a great amount of revenue for my life. So I don't have to, you know, maybe waitress anymore. That would be lovely. But at the same time, I'm okay with it right now. I, I, it, it's a great job and you know, it's fine, but I really want to be of service. So, you know, when you come at it from a sense of not worrying about the money, like you said, not putting that energy out there, you're probably going to actually give a better result to people too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. It was a really great learning point because I was like, what do I, I just go and get a job. Who cares? You know, it's not a big deal. So it just took the pressure off. I think we put, I don't know if it says women, but I think we, and men do it as well, but I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, to be the best, um, do the best, you know, have the most clients, whatever the case may be. Um, and I'm, I am competitive. I've always been competitive. So um, probably growing up as an only child didn't help that. But um, yeah, I think that that was just a great lesson because I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. You know, worst case scenario, if I have a week where, you know, I only have three clients, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to die. Like, cause no. I haven't spent my redundancy payout. So I've still got that. Yeah. So I've always got that little backup. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes we get, I've done this before. Sometimes I make myself sick. Like, and I'm not meaning like I make myself throw up. I mean, I actually manifest a cold Ah. or one time. Oh yeah. Cause you had that cold for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One time I manifested an ankle injury because I was so exhausted that I end up putting myself in those positions because Mm -hmm. I'm not taking enough 
scheduling in enough breaks. Yeah. So sometimes if, you know, the clients aren't coming, let's say, maybe that's a gift for mm-hmm. you to just chill exactly. out and enjoy the money you're making, like take yeah. yourself out for lunch mm-hmm. and spend some of it, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need mm-hmm. to just hoard it. That's the yeah. other thing. You got to put it back out to come back in too. That's yeah. a very important thing. Yeah, that's it. And I think over December, you know, things get quieter. So we have to accept that that is likely. Um, that's, you know, something that's likely to happen. So, um, Lauren, we might go into just chatting about the next episode. And this yes. is about putting your hand up. And this ties in pretty well. We, we tend to do this. I don't know how we do it, but we tend to do this where we do have a great segue into the next episode a lot of the time um, from one to the next and we're just that good Michelle yeah I know it's just a natural ability um asking for help and delegating so this is sometimes about putting your hand up which I'm not overly good at especially when I was working in the company or just any company in radio I tended to like to do things myself because I do them exceptionally well so recall some stories next week when we talk about this about you know all of the times that I wasn't able to kind of do that and then here's little old me sitting here three hours after everyone's gone home and uh, still working away and there's other people around who could be doing what I needed done. So I think I've definitely had to learn this lesson, you know, being in the company and other companies like that. And we're going to also try to tie in something about uh, maybe virtual reception um, or virtual assistance, because I think this is kind of the way of the future. And it's interesting how business is changing where you don't need to have that face-to-face person sitting in whatever it is business that you're going into. And I hear ads for them and I've got some friends who are doing this. And so I thought it might be interesting, you know, to talk a bit about virtual assistants because that's cutting down, I guess, on the workforce, which isn't great, but it is Mm -hmm. helpful for those businesses to just pay that one person. And that one person works for, you know, seven to 10 different businesses, answering the phones, taking bookings and all that sort of stuff. And we could use that certainly ourselves as we grow our businesses too. I think a lot of business uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business people are actually finding that there's a big advantage in contracts mm. as opposed to taking on actual employees. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. That, that's a big part of that as well, because sometimes we need people to do stuff for us for a period of time. It, it, you know, I think even from a tax point of view, I don't know. Okay, actually, I probably shouldn't say that because I don't actually know. But it just seems to me that it would be a lot less work to pay a contractor than it would be to take on an employee and worry about their super and paying them and all that other kind of stuff. (laughs) The um, concerning thing, and it's interesting, I was chatting to, I know quite a few nurses in the area and I was chatting to them about this and they were saying that during COVID, because it was such a desperate situation in the hospital system that they were bringing in and more so around nursing, not so much the doctors, I don't know what was going on up there. But with the nursing, they were bringing in people and they're basically, the plan is to have them train for three weeks, three weeks, and then to be able to go in and do um, not the, not the handing out medication type stuff, but the other stuff, support and, you know, maybe helping move people around and things like that. So they're bringing people in who are unemployed, who, you know, do a three week training course. And then basically they're in, in the hospitals. So some of the nurses that I've been talking to are very concerned about that because, you know, these may be people that have absolutely no desire or no um, credentials or skills or any of that sort of thing. And they're bringing them into a place where there's vulnerable people. So I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it's uh, many, many hands make light work or whatever the saying is, but yeah, I just wonder, you know, it's, it's an interesting scenario where there's a lot of women or men, you know, trying to get into the nursing profession but they're bringing people in who, yeah, have no experience and are doing a three-week course, essentially. 
which means mm. less likely to hire those full-time nurses. So, um, yeah, it's quite an interesting situation. It is. It is. Lots so, of um, money talking, sounds like. Yeah. So we'll get into that more next week. And I think COVID's had a big impact um, and made people rethink how they're doing things. One of the good things is working from home. I think that's um, something that has definitely been a difference uh, change there. So uh, that has been the business in the front. Party in the back. Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please tell all your friends, your dog, your cat, your bird, your budgie, whatever you have, uh, let them know about Business in the Front Party in the Back uh, because our aim is to reach more people, have more people listen to our shows. There's a lot of value in there. And also don't forget about our individual businesses. Um, Check the show notes, the links to our contact details and uh, certainly comment on our socials. We're on all the socials. We're on Pinterest, Instagram, everywhere. Uh, What's that other one with the dancing TikTok? We don't use it, but we're on there. You know, we've got a a page on there. Um, (laughs) We have an account. (laughs) So give us some love. We're on Facey as well. So we've got a new episode coming out each Friday. And uh, if you didn't like the show, Lauren, what do we get them to do? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Chat next That's week. So good. Yes. Thank you. Great show.